All right, guys, welcome back to the Die Living Podcast. Today's special guest we have is Dr. Andy Galpin. All right, I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. He has a whole bunch of things under his name that I can't, I mean, I pretty much can say it all, but I'm going to go ahead and let him take care of it all. So, uh, Dr. Andy, it's all yours, dude. Go for it. Take away. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And, you know, for the record, I think you have one of the, if not the coolest names ever for a podcast. <laughs> That's a great one. Um, but, you know, I'm, basically, I am a, a scientist. So I'm the co-director for the, what's called the Center for Support Performance at Cal State Fullerton. And my specialty is actually muscle physiology. So uh, we take muscle biopsies of, of athletes and we try to examine all things that, that relate and, and uh, contribute to human performance, all the way from what we'll call the whole body level. So how strong you are, how fit you are, things like that all the way down to the individual cells, the molecules, and the genetics that actually program that. So what we're really trying to do is, is take this comprehensive look at human performance so we can help both uh, understand what are the things that in your genes or your molecules, or your cells that determine your performance, and the other direction as well. So how that stuff is influenced and how that stuff changes in response to how you train, how you eat, how you sleep, and a bunch of different things. So. Um, I do that. I, I publish research. I, I, I do podcasts. I, I, uh, you know, write books and stuff like that to try to help disseminate the information that we learn in our lab, uh, to the actual people who use the damn stuff. So that's a, probably one of the biggest emphasis that I place is if you can't take the information that we get in our lab and you can't not only deliver it to the people who need it, but deliver it to them in a fashion that is accessible for them, then what the hell's the point? Yeah. So that's a real huge emphasis of what our lab um, and inside our center for sport performance, I think we've got about 12 different scientists. Um, like we've got a handful that are biomechanists. So they study human movement and forces and, and muscle activation. We've got some sports psychologists. We've got athletic trainers, injury, injury prevention folks. Um, we have classic exercise physiologists and blood flow and heart rate and hormones and then myself who really studies muscles so we just try to really attack you know human performance from as many angles as we possibly can nice dude i know um i did a lot of research on you i mean i had a there's a when i used to own cross the devil borough here in san marcus uh there was one of our girls who um was a coach and she's still a coach named cole green and she actually was trying to get i think you were doing like seminars for crossfit gyms am i correct or am i wrong no i still do those yeah, when, yeah. i mean I'm, i'll never say no to those so yeah, I remember her. She was trying to bring you in for uh, for a seminar, but we were super busy without with the past couple of months or whatever else. And I knew you're writing a book with Brian McKenzie, which is unplugged book. Um, mm -hmm. And dude, halfway through that book right now, and it's amazing. Um, and really kind of got turned on to you through there. And I like when she mentioned your name, I never who knew who you were at the time. And I just started doing research, and I realized that you were a prior weightlifter, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. Cause like I said, I, I mean, for the tactical athlete room as an instructor at, at the special operations schoolhouse, then getting out, going CrossFit, then full-time weightlifting now back to what I'm doing. Um, it was really cool to be able to kind of connect and see that, you know, not just are you a scientist and this stuff, but you're also an athlete. Cause a lot of times I see a lot of doctors and scientists and professors, yeah. they kind of don't really train much. They just kind of sit behind the book or computer and just do a bunch of research. So it's really cool on, on to see the steps you've taken. And this brings me to this next question is, what got you into all of this research and experimenting and really got you to become a, a professor and a scientist in general? So like where you are today? Uh, well, first of all, shout out to Nicole. She's great. Uh, I was so happy to meet her and uh, I follow her stuff now as much as I can. So she's awesome. So I hope she's listening. Hey, Nicole. 
I just saw her yesterday too, so yeah. That's what I was oh, doing. Oh, nice. We'll tell her I said hi. We'll um, do. Well, you know, like honestly, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be able to compete for a national championship in two different sports, uh, winning one of them. So, I mean, I still train, I still compete. I love all of these things, and I totally agree. It's actually extremely frustrating from my side when I hear the other scientists who fit that category that you just mentioned. Uh, and it is, it's more often the case than not, and it's very, very frustrating because just the language they use, the terminology, you can tell them, like, you don't do any of this stuff. <laughs> it's not like your opinion doesn't count, but boy, like, I don't know how much you really understand this spectacle because you don't work with athletes. You don't even work out yourself, or if you do, it's like 45 minutes on the cardio and circuit dumbbells, and you're like, it's like you don't really understand this stuff, so we sh you should really not tell these practitioners who are on the field all the time or with the athletes about what was, does, and doesn't work, and how which exercise to pick, and which training style is more effective. Like you don't do any of it, you never have. So, yeah, I get very frustrated at the same thing. And we're actually fortunate because the generation of scientists that are coming up now are the people like me, who I, I don't still personally identify as being a scientist. I'm a strength coach. Like this is, this is what I am. I just happen to be a scientist like on the side. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of generation of people like me coming up because when we were in school, we had these same frustrations and we were like, well, the hell with it. You know, like I'm just going to go be that person and I'll fix that problem instead of just complaining about it. Uh, I hate people. Nothing drives me more insane than people who complain, but don't offer solutions. So like stop whining, uh, like do something about it. Or if you're not going to do anything about it, then shut the hell up. Like yeah. you have no room to talk. Um, anyways, to answer your question, a lot of us that are in this field are that magical combination of pretty decent athlete, but not good enough. And so you have that, you know, if you were a terrible athlete, then you really weren't incentivized to keep going and pursue this stuff. But if you were really, really good, the same thing happened where it's like, well, I don't really care about optimizing training because I'm probably going to win anyways, right? And so I was a, a very well-rounded athlete in high school. I played, you know, I grew up in a small, small country town. So you played everything. And then I went to college, played college football, uh, and was pretty decent. But I was a classic case of if, if I didn't work extremely hard, I would have never probably saw the field maybe my senior year or something. Yeah. But the difference between me training and training properly was the difference between me kind of playing and then me getting a lot of playing time and winning accolades and things like that. And when I graduated and started competing in weightlifting, it was the same thing. Um, I, I was able to qualify for national championships in my first year, basically of competing in weightlifting. But in fairness, that was a decade ago. Um, <laughs> and the numbers have gone up considerably since then. <laughs> so it's a little bit less impressive, but it's the same thing. Like if I didn't have this stuff figured out, I would have been really in trouble because I wasn't just the guy who walked in the first day and snatched 150 kilos and like, well, damn it. Yeah, there you go. So that's really what drove me is just to understand um, and to be able to help people as much as we can. And I just found muscle fascinating. So, yeah. you know, I get to sound like a scientist and people are like, wow, you're a scientist, but really I just get to talk about training all day. So yeah. it's pretty awesome. That's, that's actually where it takes, like, that's awesome, dude. Cause like the fact that, you know, I've actually been very fortunate to be brought on full time with softly. I mean, we started softly uh, two years ago uh, at the beginning of 2015 and I had just gotten out of the Marine Corps a month prior to that. And Brett, who uh, is the owner of, of softly, he hit me up and he was like, Hey man, he's like, I know you're getting out. I know you're doing a lot of strength stuff and whatever else you're in a structure at the schoolhouse. Um, and I want to bring you on 
as a coach, I just can't pay you right now. I can't do anything. I just want to bring you on and help out as much as you can. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Dude. Like classic. It was like, you know, the goal here is to get rid of all the military programs that guys are like we talked about that say that they've worked with tactical athletes, but never have really been behind the lines with those guys or really been in it like we have. And we were like, you know what, let's go ahead and take away from athletes trying to train two to three mm -hmm. hours. Mm -hmm. Cause that's what happens with these military athletes. Right. And this is what we talked about with Rob Wilson um, was, there's a lot of programs out there that are just trying to beat the shit out of tactical athletes or athletes in general. Right. And, and it's, and it's mind boggling that the fact that these guys that are in the military is like, dude, you've been through selection. You've done this, you've done that <laughs> you've proven yourself already. And, uh, my colleague, Doug, we call him, he's our gun bunny. That's what we call him. Um, he's like the face this off. We just mess with him. He even talks about it. It's like, you know, you're always having to prove yourself in the military. No matter what schools you go to, no matter what deployments you do, no matter what you do, you're always trying to prove yourselves. Well, the mindset with SS Offly when we're writing these tactical strength conditioning programs is not for you to prove anything to us. Uh -huh. We've been there. We know this. Our goal here is just to make sure that you are optimizing your human potential as a tactical athlete to perform your job at the fullest. And, you know, that's one thing where we went with that. You know, we've taken this, taken off. We went from just putting Instagram posts online to Facebook workouts to a train heroic app from there we ended up going to our own app now we're just like i talked about pre-show we have a dietitian that we're bringing on named brooke we're getting ready to drop a nutrition program for them so people can sign up and they can either go through a maintenance lean they can lean out if they want to cut for something when they can if they want to put uh, weight on if they want to you know just human performance in general we're just trying to give this to them so they have somewhere to go because of the fact a lot of guys are following all these other nutrition protocols and programs but doesn't really cater to their lifestyle um, nothing against, you know, Renaissance periodization and sure. war against gravity, nothing against them. Like they're great dude. Like, but it's really hard for a tactical athlete to follow that realm if they're in the field all the time, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, and you know, with, with where I came from being an instructor, multiple deployments, Afghanistan, Iraq, it wasn't easy to follow a nutrition program or try and stay on schedule with training. So we really have that background there. So it's really cool to know that, Hey, you know, you've been in, and that's one thing we, I try and do when I bring athletes or bring people on for podcasts I want them to have that background of actually training but also still learning and experimenting and experience and that's where you know it really caught my eye with you to really do that and it was really good to see that um yeah, yeah I haven't that, worked with with tactical you know per se but I have worked a lot with combat sport athletes and it, it, it's different but some of the structures are the same yeah and what I mean by that is Oftentimes they have very low preparation. They don't know when they're going to get a fight. Sometimes they have eight months in between fights. Sometimes they get called on seven days notice. They're trying to learn and master multiple things at a time. And they're also, oh yeah, trying to cut 35 pounds in six weeks because they're overweight. And so that the uncertainty of the training is very, very similar. Uh, we just can't put them on the standard blanket routines. We can't yeah. put them on the same diet because there's just so many unknowns. And so I see a strong similarity there between the tactical athletes and, and I have learned a lot. And, uh, I actually, I just got done doing, um, Forrest Griffin's podcast and Forrest is a good friend. Uh, and, and he talked about your point earlier, uh, a couple of years ago when he and I were chatting and, and he was talking about how like one of the biggest mistakes that strength and conditioning coaches in MMA make is they want to prove their worth to the athlete by breaking them. Yeah. And he's like, he keeps saying like, you have to stop breaking your athletes, especially MMA fighters. And I got to imagine operators are the same where it's yeah. like, they are already tough. You do not need to develop toughness in them. 
you don't need to challenge them in that area because that shit is already there. Like you, you, the less you can break them, the more you extend their career. So yes. putting them through these grueling conditioning workouts, tr- shredding them to pieces, uh, they're going to go there and they're not going to stop probably, especially if they're decent. And you're going to get more than probably you chewed, you bargained for. And now they're broke and they're, or they're trashed for weeks on end. You induce some joint problem that's going to linger them now for the next nine weeks. And great, because they should have saved that shit for the front. Yeah. So and it, it's really important. No, it's huge. It's, it's super huge. I'm, cla- I'm happy that we're kind of covering all this stuff because we've been harp. I've been harping on this like crazy, especially since uh, I've been able to come on full time and really put out more content and really push to talk to a tactical athlete. Are you familiar with Kenny Kane? Yeah. So Kenny co-hosts Barbell Shrug, and then Kenny and I have our own little offshoot podcast, The Body okay. Knowledge. And the, the way that Kenny programs this stuff, I think you would love. It's called his mastery method. And, and is it the practice competition yes. in mental toughness days? Yeah, I, I, I love it. In fact, a, a funny story, and he's a good example of, you know, not all of us can always follow our own rules. Yeah. And he's a great example of, uh, you know, when I first met him, he's a CrossFit coach, right? And he was about to do an interview and, and I was going to leave because I was just not interested in listening to this dude, the CrossFit coach. Like, what am I ever going to learn? I'm a scientist. <laughs> right. And those of you that are just listening to audio, you can't see my face, but I'm being completely sarcastic when I say that. But he started talking and he's, you know, I'm basically packing my stuff up and he's like five minutes in. And he starts just dropping these bombs about training. And I'm like, oh my God, this dude's brilliant. I start paying attention to him. So a couple of lessons in arrogance I learned there. Um, but more importantly, he's, his foundation for his programming called Mastery Method, I think is beautiful yeah. for everyday people and you know, special forces or tactical folks as well, because he basically says, here's a certain amount of your training, let's call it 60%, mm-hmm. should be dedicated to what he calls practice. So you might get tired these days, you know, you're going to get a workout in, but your the goal of that day is to improve skill, movement skill, whatever it happens to be. And that'd be say maybe 60% of your training. And then, and I'm making up the numbers, but you get the idea. Oh, yeah. 30% of the time is then dedicated to competition to where you're trying to optimize your score, your pacing, you're make you're being strategic, all this stuff. And then 10% of the workouts are mental toughness where you get to that dark place. And if you do some quick calculations, if you work out, say, four times a week and you work out 16 times in a month, well, 10% of that is like one to two or so of those mental toughness days a month. Mm -hmm. And I think that is enough for people like you and I, I'm just guessing, who are like, sometimes you crave those days, like you want to just get after it, but you're going to pay the price, especially when you get older and you get past the age of 22, 23, 24, 25, Uh, that stuff just starts to, you pay the price. So. I think that blend is so, so good. And I like, I swear by it now because that gets me enough of my juices, but I also spend the majority of my time getting better Yeah. and I get a hell of a workout in all the sessions. And so I don't feel like I left the gym and I'm like, oh, I didn't get my workout in. I got to go do something else now. So I love that model. That model is actually, I actually listened to that podcast back. I think it was like, it's almost a three or four year old podcast that he did that with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's at least, at least a couple. Yeah. I remember listening to it. I think two or three years. I think it was like two years ago. I yeah, listened to it. It was, it's been a while and it was, it really caught my eye and it was like, all right, cool. Cause at that time period, I was actually uh, looking and reading stuff through Joel Jameson. You probably have heard mm-hmm. of him before. Yeah. Joel, good friend. Yeah. Oh dude. I, I, I love Joel Jameson and I'm going to reach out to him cause I want to bring him onto the podcast also, but he's actually been the main foundation for how I program for aerobic mm-hmm. capacity and energy systems. It's really opened my brain to that. And 
he utilizes, he doesn't talk about it like practice, competition, or mental toughness, but he utilizes it through energy system development. Yeah, we had, we had at the same conference, I was just telling you about the forest mentioned that Joel was at that one too and said the, basically the exact same thing. Yeah. Lauren Landau said the same thing. So it was funny because it was the first time we'd organized this. Um, we have this conference called Training for Combat Sports, but we have a lot of tactical, tactical people show up there too. That we do. It's at um, it's September twenty second, twenty third at the uh, UFC's new performance institute. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's once a year, and it's it's super cheap. But we put ten or twelve of these people in a room, and uh, it's the first year we held it. And so you're kind of like, what's going to happen? And it was just like it was funny because Lauren and Joel and Forrest and, and some of the athletes like kept saying they all kept saying the same thing. And uh, Rob Schwartz, who's the head strength conditioning coach for um, uh, at the Olympic Training Center for the boxers and stuff. And the wrestlers, like, same thing. Like, yes, like, finally. So I think there's – the field is moving forward in this. But, yeah, Joel's, Joel's great. Joel has a very similar philosophy, and uh, he's a very sharp dude. Yeah, I, I, you know, I model my stuff behind him also. Um, the way I program for softly, you know, mm-hmm. is something that I really focus on, especially my, my, my athletes too, my regional-level CrossFitters, my national-level weightlifters, all my, li- all my athletes under me. Um, that I individually specifically program for, I utilize that kind of method and mythology and I've made it into my own of what I've learned here and there. Dude. And it's been amazing, you know what I'm saying? Especially keeping the tactical athlete, we'll go back to that, keeping them not at a 10 all the time because their job keeps them at a 10. The goal is to bring them back down to a three, four, or five. Um, and there's times here and there. So that's, that's something that, you know, I really enjoy. I'm glad that we we're both on the same page. You hearing me talk about it and you're like, hell yeah. And then hearing like all those other guys are doing it, you know, and it's, it's one of those things. It's like, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to continue making the wheel spin to continue producing the app, the best athlete possible so that they have the longevity at the end of the day. Cause my goal when I, as a, as a strength conditioning coach is to do this, is to continue the athlete to continue training. But when they're done either competing or retire from their military's position or the sport, they still enjoy fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's twofold. It, it's that for sure. And in fact, uh, probably five years ago, I started a weightlifting club at Cal State Fullerton. Okay. So when I got here, I started it and it was, in, it, the way it happened was I had maybe five or six of these girls that were, cause I kept talking about weightlifting and powerlifting and stuff in, in my academic classes, which is not supposed to be there, but like, I'm not going to have a class with me and I'm not going to, if you walk out of my class and you don't know the difference between powerlifting and weightlifting, like we're going to have a problem. So, <laughs> I always put that in there. Uh, so I was doing that, um, one of my first years and these girls just be like, well, like we kind of learn how to want to learn how to do a snatch, but we, we've never tried it before and we're scared and all this stuff. So we just started with PVC pipes, right. And we're showing them technique and we did it one day and they're like, this is amazing. And then like, we do it next week. And, and then eventually kept going and the more people kept showing up. I was like, you know what, we're forming a club, but the club is huge. Now we've held, uh, the last three years we've held the biggest uh, weightlifting meets in uh, USA weightlifting history that are non-national meets. Oh well. So they're huge meets that we put on. But the the key is we have ten goals. Uh, our our mission statement is ten goals, and making better weightlifters is goal like number seven. Goals number one, two are things. Two and three are things like I I want you to leave here having a love for movement. I want you to leave here being excited, like positive experiences. Like this is all of our top goals because I agree with you. Like if you can't create that longevity, uh, what, what, what are you doing? Like unless yeah. you're making people win CrossFit games, which you know, none of you probably are, then your mindset is completely wrong. Um, and you should go the opposite direction. And it's, it's, it's a really important 
point and I, I fully support that. It's really awesome stuff. Yeah, dude, that's cool, man. Like that goes back to like, I had a podcast with Quinn last week and we were talking about like mm. our tier levels and I've actually interned under Quinn, uh, for my movement PT and all that good stuff. Yeah, he's great. I love Quinn to death. Um, yeah. but we're talking about our tier levels, right. And talking about like the human and movement is like the very bottom of that tier. And that if we can't get that on point, then what's the goal to continue moving forward? Um, we can utilize a whole bunch of other technology tools. And this is going to bring us into the next thing, right. Where, we, where you wrote the book on, um, but kind of utilizing like, okay, cool. Like what are you doing as a human to make yourself better, to be better at movement, better at sports, and everyone nowadays uses, and this goes into it now, uses Fitbits, uses HRV, um, uses heart rate monitors, and all this other stuff. And again, like for me, dude, like I've never, those things ain't bad, right? Like they're not bad. They're just, if they're used at moderation and used to teach you how to like learn your body that much more, um, then that's what we want it for. And that's what they're developed for. But in the book you talk about, you know, which is the Unplugged book, which you wrote with Brian McKenzie, you talk mm -hmm. a lot about how all these new technology tools have actually um, regressed human being of understanding their instincts and understanding who they are. And I'm actually going to be an example of it. I wanted to tell you about this was I'm actually training for a triathlon. Again, I used to be a big time endurance guru back in the day when I was, when I was an instructor and all that good stuff, CrossFit and they went weightlifting and you know how that goes. But, uh, mm -hmm. now I, I was starting to run with like a, my heart rate monitor and I was trying to track my times and I just couldn't get a run going. Dude, I just, it was miserable. So I started reading your book about two weeks ago when I got in the mail and I saw that you talked about how you guys, there was a research done with runners or, or something about time trials where one person focused on um, tracking their time and then they came back and then didn't track their time and saw they were actually to push faster. And then, so I actually did the same exact thing in my last yeah. run. I actually ran, you know, I ran close to four miles under 30 minutes and that's actually pretty fast for me compared to back in the day I was running three miles in 19 minutes. Okay. Um, yeah. So back now to where, you know, that was when I was weighing 180, 85 pounds and now I weigh 205 pounds. And right. so it kind of changed. So that's really kind of opened my mind to like, dude, like what your book is doing is really is an amazing aspect of really teaching the human body and teaching the human being to understand, like trust your instincts again because mm -hmm. um, we don't anymore. So that kind of takes me into like, what was the mindset behind that for the book? So the, the book came about actually with a very similar story to how I got made to look stupid with Kenny Kane was even years ago before I met Kenny. This is now four years ago, something with Brian McKenzie. So if you're not familiar with Brian, uh, he's the one that started CrossFit endurance. It's gone now, but he ran that for forever. His last book unbreakable runner was a New York times bestseller. And he caught my attention. The same thing. My friends at Barbell shrugged were filming an episode with him. And I'm like, I'm not going to listen to this guy. One, he's an endurance coach. So like strike number one, <laughs> and two, he's a CrossFitter. So like double strike number two, I'm, I'm completely out. And the like, same thing, it was just like five minutes in and he started explaining his philosophy of program design. And I went and got his first book, Power Speed Endurance. And I was like, holy shit, yeah. like this dude is actually super on point. And his, his overall like yearly, um, uh, yearly progression model is a little bit different than mine. But I would imagine if him, you and I and Quinn sat together, you look like it's actually pretty similar. And the, the big thing that jumped out was when he's like, you know, the, the worst mistake an endurance athlete can make is go from like, okay, the first block or first mesocycle that I'm going to use is going to be spent on building, you know, my aerobic endurance or my GPP or my whatever you want to call it. Because what happens is you go from a volume of basically nothing to a massive increase in volume. And if you're not moving well, you're, you're done. Like this is, 
guaranteed injury, right? And this is why his book, Unbreakable Runner, like sold so well because it was like, this is why you're all being broken when you're doing this marathon is you buy this stupid ass program the first time ever to your first half marathon and then you jump in and the first thing you do is add volume on top of your probably crappy movement. And that's what caught my attention. I was like, yes, like I didn't know somebody in the endurance world was saying this. And so the first phase of his, you know, yearly progression is skill development, which is the same as mine. And then it's like, okay, skill development. Okay. Now can you do it bilaterally? Can you do it unilaterally? Okay. Now can you add eccentric strength? Okay. Now can you add concentric strength? Okay. Now you add speed. Now you add load. And then finally you add fatigue at the end, but that's the last thing throughout your year that you add is fatigue because fatigue by definition is going to induce mechanical breakdown most likely. So why put yourself in that position where you're mechanically breaking down, but then you're continuing to do more volume. So that's how the whole thing got started. And then like he and I just, just clicked immediately after that, um, a bunch of other projects. And we kind of came to this, this realization at one point where we're like, well, why are so many people doing this? So why are people ignoring all these internal signs like pain, like, oh, my, I have knee tendonitis, oh, runner's knee, all this crap, but we're ignoring it. Well, we're ignoring it because we had some arbitrary Excel file that says I'm supposed to hit some pseudo number today. Why are we paying attention more to this technology or what this heart rate monitor tells me than I am paying attention to my own internal body? And so that's what really was the book and he, and he actually had one particular story where he was out running with one of his athletes and I'm making up the numbers, but you get this, the point of the story here. He's like, we were, he looked, you kept looking at his watch and his heart rate was like 165 and they're, they're chatting as they're running. And, and the athlete was like, uh, like we, we can't go any faster. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to blow up if I go to 168 and, and Brian's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like we're in a conversation right now. If you have to have a conversation, you're not going to blow up if we go up, you know, 2% in speed. And the guy was so focused because some random number he thought was his heart rate percentage zone or something and, and had nothing to do with what he was actually feeling. So that's what set him off. And he approached me about the book and I was like, hell no. Like the last thing I have time for is to write a book. Like no <laughs> chance. And uh, we just kept going. And, and I actually work, um, I'm an advisor for a decent amount of technology companies and stuff and, and people bring me on board. And I just kept getting really frustrated with this stuff because I get so irritated. I mean, if you, if you guys knew what happened behind the scenes for some of these, these smart technologies, I mean, even the big ones, even the billion dollar ones, like you'd be shocked how inaccurate they are. Yeah. So I got frustrated from that end and I just kept seeing study after study after study after study being like, these things are not valid. They're not accurate. Most of them are reliable, but not always. And they lose reliability as you get to higher intensities. And they lose reliability under all these circumstances. And so I just kept thinking, like, what use in all this shit is there? And so finally, I had a snapping point and some other things happened. I was like, all right, Brian, let's do this thing. Um, and, and, uh, and just to be clear, like, the book is not an anti-technology book. Yeah, it's not. Because, that, one, that, that approach doesn't work. And, two, I don't agree with it. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of benefit from these technologies. But we just wanted to put this out there to say, we need to have a better understanding of the pros and cons of some of these technologies so that you can integrate them effectively, but not let them take over and ruin your life or your training or, your, or in our respect, we, we have it kind of in three phases, your, your fitness, your performance, and your consciousness. So outsourcing your intelligence to a quote unquote smart app. That's actually pretty stupid. Very, very bad policy uh, 
for you as the athlete and especially you as the developing coach. Um, like one of the things we talk about is like, if you can't identify that an athlete's getting overworked or they're in a bad position without having a $200 app, you're never, ever going to become any good as, as being a coach. Uh, and I mean, geez, for, for tactical folks, boy, that's great. So you, you've got your HRV and that's fantastic. And that tells you when to train and when to take a day off and all that stuff. And that is not going to mean shit when you're downrange. Nope. It's not going to matter. Like you're, you're not going to have to. So we have to ask better questions about when to use that stuff and how to use it. And can we take that technology and then start to understand our body better? That way, when the technology is removed, we've actually enhanced our function and our consciousness and our awareness of our own body and not actually outsourced it and compromised it. Yeah, exactly. It, it's crazy, man. You, like you saw me get super excited when you started talking about like skill development and how the athlete dude, um, what's funny is right now currently and like we're trying to keep it on the download. It's probably going to be coming out now because of the podcast, but we're kind of pushing it more. I am currently writing a hybrid program for mm -hmm. strength athletes to go endurance and then the endurance athlete to go to the strength world. And I have had some really good role models under me. I, 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 uh, I was an athlete under training think tank with a coach named oh, Adam sure. Yeah. Um, I took their coaches development course from their new movement all the way through and really, really, you know, I talked about this in the last podcast, but the, the course just really kind of filled a lot of blanks in for me as a strength coach and a conditioning coach. And now I started understanding like tension in the body from an endurance athlete to a power athlete and really understanding like we need to understand that we can't throw the power athlete into just aerobic volume and no. I can't throw the, the endurance athlete into strength volume because no. again, movement and we understand like this power athlete has so much systemic tension in their body currently that we need to learn how to teach them how to breathe properly again. Mm -hmm. We can't teach them how to breathe properly. All we're doing them is a disservice to help them create better aerobic capacity. So I'm writing this four week program right now um, and I'm looking to make it to a 24 week program for the hybrid athlete. Mm -hmm. There's not, I mean, I know there's a whole bunch of companies out there doing hybrid programming and all this other good stuff. And I don't, I don't like, I, and I know they throw nothing but volume at these guys. Mm -hmm. My goal right now is to first that first four to six weeks is to focus on building skill development for the endurance athlete who's trying to go to strength work, right. And teach them how to move properly. Um, you know, unilaterally, you know, and then go ahead and go bilaterally building the concentric and the centric movement work mm -hmm. and all that good stuff before I start throwing anything on them. And then the power athlete, I'm teaching them how to learn how to breathe again. Yeah. And then I'm developing skill through running, biking, and swimming. And if you, and, you know, and when I say skill, 80% of their program right now for that power athlete going into the endurance is nothing but skill development work. Yeah. How to breathe, how to actually, you know, loosen the body up to move, to get ready to run, to bike, to swim to learn all these things because I'm taking it like this. If the athlete is brand new to an endurance sport, has no background in it at all, right? Their training age is just their training age and their, and their background is all powerlifting and weightlifting and never done an endurance sport. Well, I need to develop them, right? And that is the goal that I'm doing right now is I'm developing them. Same thing with the endurance athlete. We see it right now. We have an endurance athlete who's probably scared of strength work to do strength work because they think they're going to get bigger and slow down when we're actually creating power. And I had a conversation with my coach who is writing my program right now and helping me out a lot. And we talk a lot about this, but this kind of made me really happy when we talked about that. Um, so it's cool yeah. to know that. Well, that's, you know, the, the, the terrific part about that, especially when you take the strength athlete and move them towards the endurance stuff is the fact that really good athletes, especially those that have a high kinesthetic intelligence, 
In other words, like they, they understand their own movement very well. So like these are athletes that if they watch somebody uh, swing a golf club, they can mimic that swing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, show me what this guy's swing looks like and they could do it. So they can just, they understand how to make their body do certain things. The, that's obviously a major help for them. But a problem with that is they, they then can also fake and get away with a lot of movement. And so for example, you teach them, say you take five minutes to teach them, you know, what you consider to be a good running technique. Fantastic. Great. They could probably mimic it within seconds. And you're like, man, this guy's a natural. She's a natural. She's amazing. I'll just start throwing the miles on her. Well, what happens though when that person is more than a hundred meters away from you? Well, they don't have the neural control to sustain that movement over a very long period of time, especially then when fatigue and distraction comes in because the strength and power athletes not used to focusing for that long. And that's the problem is they're going to be able to get away with things and they're going to default back to probably less than ideal movements. And you won't pick it up as a coach for a very long time. And it's all of a sudden, boom, they're broken. And so you have to really understand that this is a totally different thing. So you need to be able to sustain movement over a long period of time because what you got away with, because you could force yourself into certain positions for two or three, or maybe even 10 reps. Well, you can't do that for 10 miles. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's a fundamentally different thing there and you've got to be able to really ensure that, which is, you know, again, why I will say uh, if you're going to screen movement, particularly. I mean, this is a great example. If you've ever done an FMS or anything else, yep. on an athlete, someone who's kinesthetically aware, like I can fake and I can guarantee you I can get a 21 out of 21 every time. Yep. But if you came back and watched me and had a secret camera on me and half my training sessions, I'm not in those positions all the time. No. Cause I lose focus or you get fatigued. There are certain ones that I know, like I can get to there for one or two because I know what it's supposed to look like, but knowing what it's supposed to look like and then moving that way naturally is fundamentally different. And this is all stuff that we bring up in the book too, where it's like, here's a great example of, of taking that technology and, and saying, okay, here's a good use of it. So maybe you use some sort of a movement screen to identify a movement pattern, a person. Okay, great. That's fine. But if you can't match it between, okay, do they do that fresh under one rep? Well, how about under load? How about under speed now? Oh, how about under fatigue? Now, how about combinations? Now, how about under that? with decision-making and tactical adjustments. So I have to think critically about um, what my opponent's doing and make very important tactical decisions. And if, and if you have a breakdown in any one of those spheres and they don't truly own the movement and now you need to go back and regress and really build in or or, or funnel in that strength. And so the technology in that case could help you identify those problems. But when you're in the middle of competition, if for example, I could look at, so I could show you an athlete, you're breaking down when you're tired. Okay. Well, that happens to all of us, right? And you say, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And then I show you on video and you're like, shit, okay, I was breaking down there. That's great. <laughs> That's a good use of technology. Now, some people can't fix that position by themselves. And so they're like, well, I am extended. I am extended. And you're like, no, you're not, no, you're not. And then you actually have to maybe physically manipulate them into extension. And they go, oh, well, the reason that works is because now they feel the difference. Mm-hmm. It's not because you showed them on the phone. It's because they mechanically, they personally internally feel that difference. And if you can now ingrain that feeling into them, that may actually cross over into performance once you remove the camera, right? If you just have them relying on the camera and and they have to be able to look in the mirror or watch on a coach's eye every time to be able to set their hip position or put their shoulders in the right spot, that will never transfer over to the field and that will never transfer over to the daily life. That position is gone when they're sitting in their chair. It's gone when they're walking. And, and now it's been there for seconds for a day. That's never going to be ingrained as, as a full neural pattern, especially over volume of fatigue. So, it's, again, it's not about 
not using these things, but understanding what the point of them actually is um, and not becoming completely reliant upon them as the athlete or as the coach. Yeah. And it was funny. We talked about, you talked about how like utilizing like HRV or any of these kind of sleeping apps, whatever else for the tactical athlete. What I was actually, I, so I went on a, <laughs> I went on a HRV like spree for almost like seven months just mm-hmm. I wanted to learn about it. I wanted to experience Good. it. I tracked it on myself and I really wanted to see. And I really noticed how I started becoming dependent on it. And I was like, all right, I need to cut back away from it. I stopped using it. I went through the Fundamentals HRV course through Elite HRV um, with those guys. Really learned a lot through them and kind of how we can utilize it as a tool. And I've used it on a couple of fitness athletes where, you know, hey, look, I'm utilizing this on you right now because I want you to learn your body and understand like you can't just go 100% every day. I want you to learn, hey, look, learn your body a little bit better. Um, but taking it back to the tactical athlete realm, we can't track HRV when these guys are on missions. No, we can't. But we can utilize the tool of HRV and teach them how to learn their body pre-trainups and pre-workups. Yep. Right? So, for instance, like, you, again, right, we, it tracks emotional state and stress, emotional stress, physical stress. And, you know, I talked about this on a, when I first kind of started getting into HRV was – I can literally find out what is going on psychologically with the, the tactical athlete pre-training just by getting a small baseline of learning who they are with yeah. using HRV. Totally. Small baseline, right? I was, and what I was trying to figure out was like, how can we implement this into the tactical athlete realm before going on patrols or going on missions, right? So let's say, for instance, you've got team A, team B, and team C. Well, team A is tracking HRV and all of them are tracking their HRV. They've all gone through the same training protocols. They've all gone through everything else, but I don't know what their life is like outside of this, outside of training because they go home on their own. They don't know what their girlfriends are like or their family like. Well, if I'm tracking HRV when I have a certain baseline of them and utilize this as a tool, all of a sudden team A has three guys that are in the, let's say the red, team B has everyone in the green team C has two guys, one guy in the red, everyone else is green. Well, now as a, as a commander, I can look at it and be like, well, I know what team I want to go ahead and put in for that mission. Again, I'm not using and telling this team like, Hey, look, I'm not sending you because blah, 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 blah. No, I'm because he's, he might be mentally there. He might be physically there, there, but mentally he is not there. And if you're not mentally there to go over, to go cross into, into like cross friendly lines and get ready to go do work and get in gunfights, you're putting everyone else at risk. Totally. So now I can utilize that technology pre-work, uh, pre, pre-mission to know what teams. But once they go off in their mission, I'm not going to track their HRV. I know at least I have some kind of tool that I utilized to help them um, be 100% to go ahead and go fight the enemy. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic implementation of it. Uh, and, and this is also something that you could use perf- perf- or prior to them actually going out is put them through whatever it is, a week of training, going out, Doing, have them have HRV and then go through that data with them. Hey, look, team A, uh, here's why you didn't get selected. You were red. Okay, cool. How did you feel? Right? Exactly. Right, okay, this is what your stress levels are. Team B, this is what this is why you're going. Okay, now back to team A. Okay, you were red. Now here's what we can do about that. Let's explore two or three or four different ways outside of just take the day off because that's not going to work downrange. Like too bad. Yep. You don't get that option. At home, I can get that. I cannot work out today. But the better thing is to say, what can we do? Can we? alter that immediately. So let's explore maybe some strategies that we implement to decompress right after the, at the end of every night before we go to sleep or in the middle of the day, can we do some breathing strategies? Can we do some other strategies? Can you start to 
personally identify and start going, oh boy, I think I'm in red right now. Uh, I need A, B, and C. And if you can, then you're going to be much more effective when you're out because then if that happens in the actual field, then you'll be able to be like, boy, I'm, I'm redlining right now. Uh, you know, boss, I need five. I'm going to go do this real fast or whatever. I mean, it's, it's not ever going to be something like, oh, I'm not going to go on this mission because I'm a little, I feel like I'm a little bit stressed. Like that's not going to happen. But you can detach from the situation, look at it and go, okay, like I'm fried right now. I need to address this or else I'm going to compromise integrity of the entire team. So let me go do this thing. Let me, whatever it is, my diet, my sleep, my, whatever it is that worked for you. And you can explore different avenues to go like, Ooh, that, that one really brought me back down. And so you can start identifying that stuff when you're out. That I think is, is a far better utilization of it. Um, I mean, a paper just came out literally yesterday, again, showing the inaccuracies of HRV. Yeah. I mean, especially at a, at a high threshold, but that doesn't mean it, it's, it's, invaluable or it's you know it's, it's unimportant so you know it's a little bit inaccurate but in this particular case that's okay because we, we still gain some good information for it so i mean hrv is a great one uh you know brian talks about this all the time so two aspects let's say you wake up with a with an hrv that's in the tank yep well you think you can't change that you can yes you can you can change yeah, it in can. minutes yeah. so it's like yeah you woke up in shitty hrv but then you went and did a b and c and all of a sudden wow you're back to yellow. Now you're, and all of a sudden you trained it. But if you just were like, well, the technology said it's an off day, it's an off day. <laughs> like, see how many times I don't want to work out and I walk into my training garage and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do this. Wait, I guarantee you my HRV sucks that at that moment. I guarantee you it does. But then it's like, okay, let me go do this, go do this. Let me, this, let me, uh, detach from the situation. Ask myself critically, am I really fatigued, stressed, tired, or am I just, fatigued because I didn't sleep enough last night or I worked really hard and do I need to just suck it up and go? Yeah. And when, the more you can do that, and sometimes you're going to guess wrong, sometimes you're going to guess right, but the more you can at least start separating yourself from those just really whimsy motivational things and, and those uh, slight alterations and undulations in energy, then you're going to make much better decisions, uh, which is, you know, our argument for implementation. So yeah, these things are valuable, but yeah, if we just gotta learn intelligence. Yeah, don't yeah, don't take away from your actually your instincts of really what you're doing. I mean, that goes back to understanding. It was funny because me and Nicole were talking about this yesterday because I was telling her about the book that I'm telling her about the book I'm reading unplugged. I'm telling her how I was doing the podcast with you, and I was talking. To her, I told her the story about my run time, and I stopped, I didn't track my run at all. And I was like, what's funny is when we're in the Marine Corps, you didn't have a watch on you or a heart rate monitor. You just had some gunny in front of you who was throwing a dip and smoking a cigarette. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you guys ready to go? And all yeah, of a sudden, yeah. he just goes and he's running six mile, six six minute miles, and you have to keep up. And you're redlined, yeah. And you're redlined the whole time, right? <laughs> and you're like, yeah. imagine if the guys were like wearing a Fitbit, wearing, yeah, a yeah, yeah, right. And they're like, Gunny, you got to slow down because I can't. You're you're yeah. done. I would you'd get kicked in the fucking throat. Yeah. You'd get, you, you'd just be hazed the rest of the time. Um, and and, it, and it's like funny how the military teaches you things without you even realizing it. And it takes you back yeah. to, uh, you know, your gunfight. I remember my, uh, my first gunfight in Afghanistan. It was, and I'm not trying to talk about war stories here, but going back to like trusting your instincts, we had literally just inserted at like four o'clock in the morning in Trek. Now this was, this was like a month after the push in, in, uh, uh, in Marja. And we had to go do some stuff in Trek now. And we literally inserted into the, into the, we call it, we inserted into Trek. Now we ended up supposed to move literally like click and a half within like three hours. We only moved 600 meters in three hours because of 
the canals and the flooding, well, all of a sudden we get set up in this position and we just get in a gunfight at once mm-hmm. that sun pops up. And I remember like, it was like the fog of war, right? It's what we hear is what everyone knows it of. I remember all of a sudden, like I'm down below this bunker, below this berm, all of a sudden I'm hearing rounds come across and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? All of a sudden instincts t- checked in mm-hmm. and, and it was like, oh my God, this is a, like instincts checked in, right? And when I started reading your book again, it started bringing back all those memories of being like, instinct, instinct, trust your instincts, trust your instincts, trust your gut, trust your gut. Don't yeah. rely on all this technology stuff because I did for a little bit, right? And then when I started focusing- If you've developed the instincts though, that's a key aspect exactly. of it. Like you have got to have developed, and in your case, this was hundreds of hours of no excuses training, Yeah. right? This was like unacceptable to make mistakes. It is, and so you understood the severity of it. So you were able to default back on your instincts because you spent time developing them. If, I mean, you and I are in a different generation, but as these kids move forward now, that stuff is going to be almost completely gone because everybody will become so dependent upon technology, those instincts won't be developed. So they, they'll default back to, you know, oh my God, what did the tech tell me? I mean, literally this morning before this call, I was out walking my dogs and this couple pulled, you know, pulled over really fast in a hurry in an SUV. And then they're like, hey, where's this address at? You know, we're late for a, a uh, they had a court, a court appointment, a traffic accident or something. They're like, we're late. Where's his address? And I'm like, you're like 10 miles in the wrong direction. <laughs> and the lady's like, well, my, the, the app on my phone isn't working or whatever for, she was out of data or something. And I'm like, you're on the road. You're on Studebaker, but you're 10 miles the wrong way. And she's like, I'm like, didn't you, you it says the number 1800. Like you're at number 11. And you're getting lower as you go. Like, did you not look at any of these signs the last 10 miles and realize the numbers are getting lower? I need to turn around and go back. Well, she's so dependent upon her GPS. Like she didn't even pick that. All she had to do was go the wrong, the other direction. And she was not, not a mile dude. She was like 10 miles the wrong down on a strip. Like a thousand indicators should have hit you that you're going in the wrong direction. So it's just examples like that. Like, you know, our generation, my kids, your parents, I mean, like, their first instinct would have been, I think that's, we're not, this should have been here by now. Like, let's look at street numbers. What other instincts do I have? Well, theirs is now the fault back to the technology. Well, then happens when the technology then is wrong. It's inaccurate. Oh, it's blocked. It freezes. It's broken. Something happened. Uh, Wi-Fi is down. Like, there's an attack and Wi-Fi is down. Like, you're, you're toast, right? Like, you're not yeah. going to be able to get your HRV for the day or whatever. And it, it's really important. And it's, it, it sort of also reminds me of, of the the rest of the HRV conversation, which is, okay, let's say that you wake up and the HRV is in the tank and uh, you, you try to adjust it and you can't, you're still in the tank. Well, you still have to take back, take a step back and ask the fundamental question, what's the point of the training session today? And I think this is very, very important for uh, tactical folks. Yeah, what is your intent coming into your training session? So Cal Dietz, Cal Dietz is strength coach at Minnesota. He said this a couple of years ago and I thought it's super smart. So he's like, sometimes the point is to induce adaptation, right? And adaptation comes directly from stress, basically linear, right? More stress, more adaptation. Recovery though comes from the removal of stress. And this is when we actually get better, right? Well, if we haven't asked ourselves a fundamental question, like what am I, what's the goal today? What's the goal this week? What's the goal this month? What part of my year am I in? Then I don't understand if that, if that is red, that technology doesn't tell me, should I push or should I back off? Because if I'm, for example, trying to peak or optimize things, 
if I see HRV is red and I can't fix it quickly, then, then that means back off. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to cause adaptation, if this is a pushing phase, then the answer is great, you're red. Too bad, go. go. Like, exactly. You're trying to stress the system and just because you woke up one day a little bit neurologically tired, tough shit. Like this is go time, in the military especially, you're gonna do some things, I'm, I'm quite sure, I can't speak to this, but I'm, I'm sure you're gonna to agree to me where they're going to put you through small missions and training at home where yep. they intentionally sleep deprive you and intentionally overwork you because they want you to know what that experience looks like a little bit so that you don't freak the fuck out when you get you know, in theater and that happens. Yeah. So, and it's all the time that our fighters, it's like, we're gonna go do something silly like, we're going to do, you know, you fight three five-minute rounds in the UFC, but we're going to have you go do 10 rounds today, and I have a fresh opponent on you every, every minute, right? And that's a, you know that's a lose, like that is a, but it's entirely designed to lose, and we don't do that often. Like it's very, 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 very rare, but we want to see you actually operate here. I need you to make choices and stuff, and we're not going full, full speed, and we're not doing head kicks, and like, we're not trying to break necks or anything, but you get the idea. So... That's the part where the technology, it doesn't understand context. Yeah. There's still information, but it doesn't understand the bigger picture of what you're trying to do, why you're trying to do it. And that's where you still have to be intelligent about these things to think like, yeah, I'm red today and I probably should take a day off, but this is a, this is specifically designed to be a really tough two weeks where I'm going to really push it a little bit and uh, I'll still move well and I'm not going to break position. I'm not going to do that type of stuff, but I'm okay to go a little bit neurologically overreach for two or three weeks because that actually doesn't really harm you that bad. But if I'm trying to peak or I'm trying to optimize at all times, then I'm compromising stress. So yeah. it's just technology will never understand that context. And even the artificial intelligence stuff won't. So it, artificial intelligence is only good as the question that we ask it. And that question continually changes. So all, the time. all those things give limitations. Yeah, dude. Um, it, it's, been, it's been a really good learning experience, like really going through learning HRV back in last year, all the way up to maybe February and really kind of utilizing like all of the, I did sleep apps for a while. I did all that good stuff. And I realized that I started getting really sick. Um, cause I wasn't, I was relying on these, I was relying on these apps and my fitness started decreasing because I was relying on all this stuff and I got really yeah, funny, huh? Weird. It's crazy, dude. So I was like, you know what? Fuck all this. I'm going to relearn my body again. And this brings me back to like talking about what are the steps for recovery that you are utilizing. And for me experience, and I'm pretty sure the same thing with you. I now focus on breathing work. I do movement work. Um, I am now trying to build my self resilient, uh, resiliency to the environment now, dude, like I'll take showers outside now just with the, with the water hose. And I, and like, just because of the fact that I want my body to be okay with the environment. Right. Um, all those kind of things. I now sleep with my door open. I'm, I'm fortunate enough and I'm a knock on wood where I live at. I live back in the mountains a little bit to where nice. I, can sleep with, nice. I can sleep with the door open, bro. So like now I'm truly trying to kind of understand back into that primal realm of things of like mm -hmm. go to bed when the sun goes down and wake up when the sun comes up. And out here in California, you probably see because you're up in Fullerton, it's been overcast the past two days yeah. in the mornings. So usually I'll wake up at 6, 6.15. I've been waking up at 7 a.m. now because I'm letting the sun and letting the natural light dictate my awakening to sleep. And I've been telling you right now, dude, I've been doing this for about two weeks ever since I started reading the book again. Like it's really kind of like brought me back. And I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, dude, I was never sick in the Marine Corps. Yeah. yeah. Right. And why, why? Because I had such a high tolerance and such, I had so much resiliency to everything around me to where I was just like, I'm golden. 
Um, and I'm right, I'm back at it now, dude. I'm doing all the good things again. I'm getting the sunlight in. I'm, I'm letting all that good stuff happening. I'm experimenting and doing breathing work and really kind of pushing that. And that's where we're pushing softly right now, right? And like, it's not about how hard you train. It's about how hard you recover. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's another part of our book and that's, this is the, the consciousness aspect of it that we get into, which is the things like, uh, you know, again, in your world and in Laird Hamilton's world and in anyone's world, like if you become a liability, like you're, you're a problem. So yep. if you're out surfing with Laird Hamilton and he's out there and you're four hours in and, and your blood sugar goes low because you haven't had a snack in three hours and you're, two miles into the ocean and you've been towed out there uh, and you're about to surf a 50 foot wave. Like you're a fucking liability. Yep. I mean, you're a real liability. You're going to hurt yourself or other people. So you need to have a physiological resiliency to be like, yeah, I'm hungry. You know, I haven't had water in three hours. I'm cold, whatever. And, and it's okay to be discomforted by those things. But if, if you actually physiologically shut down or your performance is compromised in those levels, uh, that's a real problem. And, the resiliency is, is a great word. Liability. Um, Kelly Starretto always jokes and says, like, don't be so fucking precious. Yeah. Don't be <laughs> <Like>, a pussy. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, just don't be so precious. You know, like, yeah. I'm the same thing. Like, I love eating every couple hours. I feel better. I perform better. I recover better when I do that. But I also experiment with a lot of fasting now, yeah. specifically because of that. Um, and I have done a bunch of these things where I've gone on extended fasting. And you know what? I still perform very well at work i can still write i can my training goes down just a little bit but you can still do most and and i think people get shocked when you know again the military people maybe not as much but the other people you're like oh my god like you didn't eat for 24 hours did you just like did you sleep the whole time were you like in a fog and i was like nope not at all actually went on my daily activities because i'm yeah. building my body to be hard and i was very like my i'm clear-headed like it's just it's really not that big a deal we we have uh well, the way I say it is like we have evolved for about 2 million years as a species, right? Plus or minus, who cares? Close enough. And every thing we've ever done as a species that we thought was advancement was done for the sake of removing stress, right? So let's learn how to store food so that we don't have to ever, so we reduce chances of getting hungry. Let's learn plumbing. Let's learn, you know, electricity and yeah. temperature control and all this stuff. And that's great. And that, that, helped a lot of people survive and that's why our populations boomed and, and went from hundreds of a couple hundred thousand on the planet to seven and a half billion. Well, the fundamental problem with that approach was, and this is the same problem with artificial intelligence, by the way, is okay. What if that was the fucking bad question to begin with? Yeah. Like, oops, we focused our entire life as a species on trying to reduce stress and oops, we did it. Yeah. Uh-oh. We didn't we didn't think through that part of it. It's like shit, we actually did it. Uh-oh. Like <laughs> we, we got what we asked for. And we were the first people ever to really get that. I mean, the vast majority of us, uh, you know, again, all sympathies to those folks that are in less fortunate places, but you know, here in the in the the higher socioeconomical places in the world, like we don't get cold, we don't get hot, we don't really get hungry, we don't get thirsty, we don't really get tired, we're never sleep deprived really. You know, or we are, we're like mildly sleep deprived, but chronically, right? We don't really go through like you would do, you know, if you're out camping or something where it's like, if you're hunting, for example, like you might sleep, uh, depending on what you're hunting, but you might sleep for a couple of hours a night because you want to get up, get in position before the, well before the sun comes up. And then you're going to go back out the same thing at night. 
well, we don't really do much of that in our daily lives anymore. We have these chronic sleep six hours for years at a time as opposed to going through short bouts of sleep de deprivation and then big bouts of sleep excess yep. and getting that balance, right? And so the problem is, is true here, um, but the reason we really honestly wrote the book is, look, all of us have heard, hey, get off your phone, stop texting so much, stop checking Facebook so much, and, and blue lights, and everyone's had that conversation, but people aren't having a conversation about, well, how is this going to influence your physiology when robotics take over everything in the next 10 years? Yeah, because it's going to happen. It, it, it's already here. I mean, I'm not talking 50 years or 80 years from now. Like this is, we are a decade away from almost every physical occupation being gone. We're, dude, I mean, people don't realize this, we're, we're probably less than a few decades away from food being free for everybody. Right? When robotics take over all of farming and agriculture, yeah. there's no reason to put a premium on that. Like it's going to be like Peter Diamandis says, like it's going to be democratized. Like there will yeah. be no, Food doesn't cost anything anymore. So like, what are we going to do then? If you have not set yourself in a place that says there's going to be so much food abundance, it's crazy. There already is here where your physiology is going to attack you because you have developed those two million years. You are optimized when you receive a variety of stresses. And so not only have you removed stress period, but you've removed the variety of them. And now basically people only get stressed in the same way, which is a little bit of sleep deprivation and then the chronic stress in response to extreme amounts of crappy food. But really we're not stressed. Even the people that work out super hard, like you train your ass off, you train twice a day for an hour and a half every day. That pales in comparison Yeah. to, to when we completely eliminate all physical activity, yep. which is basically already here. So that's really what the book is about is, is, you know, it's, it's a forecast in the future to say like, we better develop this infrastructure so that your kids grow up in a society where it's not weird to, to fast and, and they're, you know, to go hunting, to go and trust their instincts. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like to get cold, to, you know, do some, some really hot work, to do some other stuff, um, just to induce stress in a bunch of different ways. And the exercise piece of it, people acknowledge, I mean, we've known now for 50 plus years, like, Hey, we've been losing physical activity. So we got to start arbitrarily burning calories, which is this fake thing called exercise. Yeah. Right. Uh, exercise is complete invention of the abundant. Right. Like that's what it is. Right. Your life is so fucking easy. You have to figure out a way to, to make it harder. Uh, we'll call it exercise. We haven't evolved yet to understand the other things we need to do because of temperature control, right. It wasn't a big deal. Now we realize all oh, this is a problem. Um, hygiene, same thing hydration, all this stuff, it, it, we're now realizing like, okay, like we, we need to have to do the same thing we do with exercise, which is to seek discomfort, to seek fatigue, to seek the pain. And we've got to do it in other areas that our body is meant to deal with, but we're not getting any exposure to. Yeah. And that's, that's really what it's going to take to optimize your physiology is to continually induce suffering and manufacture discomfort in a bunch of different realms of, of existence. Yeah. Dude, I, you know, this podcast has been awesome. I'm really happy that, you know, you're able to come on with me and talk about this because this is going to hit the listeners. I think this is kind of like falling in line with a lot of what I've done, right? Like talking with Rob Wilson about breathing and just how to downregulate the tactical athlete um, and just kind of be in tune with your body more and really kind of learn that recovery step. And then I talk with Quinn about movement work and, and how to regress the athlete. And now we're talking about how to utilize technology as a tool, but learn how to really read your body that much more in depth not just physically and mentally, but really learn 
who you are again, because like you said, I mean, you know, we're in a, you know, the AI is going to be taking over the world in the next 12 years and oh, we're yeah. going to go ahead and we're going to be, there's gonna be a lot of people lost. Right. And it's yeah. just, and, and people are not going to know what to do. And it's, it's, it's scary. And like when he's just mentioned all that stuff right now, it kind of gave me goosebumps about it. And one thing I really do enjoy a lot about in the book that you actually wrote in the back and the back of it, because I think I skimmed through it and you actually have check marks about um, yeah. like gold, bronze, silver, and gold of really kind of being that more, I don't know. I don't know what the title exactly was, but I read that I skimmed through it. What was the title of that? But I, I, I honestly can't remember, but uh, it actually goes back to the very beginning of our conversation, which is I hate people that show up and complain and talk about problems yep. that don't at the same exact time, spend more time on the solution. So in the back, what we did is, is, you know, our audience is very broad. Uh, you and your audience is probably represents like the higher end of the spectrum, which is more extreme. Um, like if I gave this same talk to some of our other audience members, your people are like, Oh, 48 hour fast. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Let's do it. <laughs> I just yeah, did yeah, that two yeah. days ago. Who cares? Right, right, right. Like, okay, <laughs> no problem or whatever. So, but other people like this is extremely scary. So what we try to do is, is say, look, um, let, let, let's give you a rough idea and it is not perfect. It should not be taken as gospel. Like, please do not interpret it that way. But I did want to give you some rough calibrations for people that have never tried anything like this. Yeah. For people kind of you know, maybe in the middle and then people at the far extreme to say like, well, okay, uh, okay, I get it. I should get cold. Like how cold, how often uh, I should be hungry. How, how often? And we, we give you some benchmarkers and everyone again, please realize your physiology is different. It would be a terrible, terrible misinterpretation. If you were like, okay, great. Uh, I'm going to go right to gold. Yeah. Don't do that. All that. Like, do not do that stuff. It's yeah. It progresses each, like it legitimately, it legitimately progresses. Like you have like bronze. I think, I think you had no water for like 12 hours or something like that, or really small, like hours and then yeah. silver increased. And then you legitimately had like on gold, you had like no water for like two days. I think it was like, I, I could, I'm throwing numbers out right now. guys. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I don't even remember them to be honest with you. But the thing is, it, was, it sets you up to have a progression to be somewhat measurable yeah. or not somewhat. It is measurable. And that was something that was, I thought was really cool because it does, it's, I really feel like this book is really going to, if people start reading it, right. And I really hope that this book gets up there, dude, because this book and people have to have an open mind about it, yeah. right. That's what they need to have on it. And if they read this book, they, I think this is going to really help change how people think long-term now. Yeah. I mean, we sure hope so. We, we've had some pretty good success. It was, um, the number one new release on Amazon yep. uh, in its little category uh, for a while there. So I, I think it's doing pretty well. Um, but yeah, we would appreciate any support. Uh, of course the book is up on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Amazon's probably the easiest. And the, the, honestly, the outside of buying the book, the biggest thing that helps it's, it's really funny and it's sad at the same time and it irritates me, but the biggest thing that helps is, is leaving a review. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy how much that impacts the success of the book. And any of you that know anything that like me as a scientist, it actually like, it, it makes me feel extremely uncomfortable to do any of the marketing. Like I love having conversations like this, but I hate doing it. So we intentionally, Brian and I and Phil made a conscious decision that we are not going to do anything to optimize marketing, to, to do this stuff. And word of mouth. Oh yeah. And I guarantee you it would, it would, be a hundredfold higher seller right now if if we did some of these things 
Um, because, you know, Tim Ferriss wrote a chapter in the end, uh, Stephen Kotler. So like we could have easily been like, Tim, maybe we put this on your thing and, and it would have sold, that would have been New York Times bestseller. And he would have said yes, I guarantee it, right? But we intentionally, he's like, no, like if this thing is actually good, I want this to succeed based on its merits, not based on us spending $20,000 on hiring a PR firm and getting us in all these avenues and stuff. So we're, we intentionally didn't do that. And that may compromise the the quote unquote success of the book, but I don't think it will because I would rather it get to, you know, 15,000 people that'll actually make an impact on their exactly. life than yep. 200,000 people buying it. And, and we will do like, again, I'm not, please don't think I'm crying for a moth. Like the book is doing very well. Um, we're very happy, but the way that it really gets out is if people genuinely find value in it, if you can take the two minutes to put a review up, um, that actually majorly impacts its ranking. That majors impacts people that see it that are outside of your listeners. So the, the people that are outside of our spectrum, because the people in our audience are pretty aware of it, um, but it's we're, the other people that, that can't. Are we trying it. to get out? Yeah. So yeah. that, that's the biggest thing. And, and of course, sharing it around and, and posting like, like you all did is a, is a huge help. So the publishers are very, very happy. Um, like it seems to be doing well. So we're, we're very thankful for that. Awesome. dude. So where can they, um, so then if you can just get the full title of the book, um, yeah. Instagram it's, for uh, yourself and all that good stuff. It's called unplugged evolve from technology to upgrade your fitness performance and consciousness. And that's up on Amazon. You could just search Galpin uh, unplugged or McKenzie unplugged or, or any of that stuff. And that'll come up. You can also check out athleteunplugged.com. Uh, Facebook page. The book has all that Twitter book has Instagram, all that stuff. Um, my personal stuff is just Dr. Like Dr. Andy Galpin. So Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. My website is just andygalpin.com. So we didn't really get into this, but on there I put up basically every lecture I've ever given all my class material. Um, I'm working to put all that stuff up for free. Wow. Damn. Okay. No membership fees, no newsletter to sign up for absolutely nothing. So I've got about 20, getting close to 20 hours of videos up there right now, but I'll probably have a couple of hundred by the end of the year. That's awesome. The big emphasis. And that's just my way of being like, I don't think people should have to pay for information about their body and movement and nutrition. And, um, you know, I got a job. Uh, I, I don't need, I don't need to scramble to make an extra 300 bucks or whatever. So, um, I don't, I mean, I'm a university salary and I'm a state salary. So it, it it ain't much, but that's <laughs> again, doing it. so that's all up there. Um, AndyGalpin.com. And then, um, you can check out uh, Kenny King and I's podcast, the body of knowledge again, Facebook, bodyknowledge.com, iTunes, Stitcher, all that stuff. So I, again, uh, like I'm probably the, anyone, if I ever had a business coach, they'd walk in and be like, dude, this is the worst strategy ever. Like I'm the same way. Yeah. Seven websites. You get things everywhere. Like this, whatever, man. Yeah. Like, that's I mean, what motivates me. Bro, you know what? Like, I'm not a very good business person, but I am a very good strength coach and I'm a very good person or a human being to where I can pass yeah. all my passion and my fire to another person and inspired by it. Yeah. And dude, like, you're the same exact way. Like, I don't do this for the money. I do this yeah. just to help the person to the left and right of me be that much better or even better than me. That's what I want, right? And that's what you're yeah. trying to do right now and put the yeah. information out there, dude. So it's awesome, bro. And again, like I said, I know I reached out to you last week, DM on Instagram. So thank you, technology, yeah. for... Uh, hooking me up and letting me hit, get a hold of you. I will say, uh, you're, you're lucky. Cause I'm, I'm, I do not check a lot of those messages very often. Um, don't Facebook message me. Not cause I get irritated. It's just, I don't, I don't check it hardly yeah. ever. I, I rarely check Instagram messages, but if you want to get a hold of me, just email me. Yep. 
my email is out there. It's available. It's just yeah, bulletin.edu. Like I check that religiously and I guarantee oh, yeah. you email me, I will, I will get back to you. But if you send me a message on Facebook, like uh, no promises. Cause I just, I can't check all 17 places. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, uh, he does respond back to email super fast. Like, I mean, I hit him up one within like five minutes, he was right back. And that's kind of how I am also. Yeah. I, I treat email as like a text message. Um, yeah. It's just kind of those things. Yeah. Depending on the day, man, I block out a lot of hours where I don't do it to get work done. But um, if I'm on and uh, I mean, that's how I got in contact with Nicole, I think it's yeah. same thing. Yeah. So yeah, I don't care big or small. It doesn't matter to me. Love it, dude. Again, hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it very much, dude. And, and again, like I said, I'm super grateful to have you on here for this podcast. Yeah, man. It was really, really fun, actually. Far better than usual. It's the average <laughs> podcast. So good job. <laughs> thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right.